Okay, so let's start this session with a little thought experiment. Imagine that uh, you have a compartment, a fairly large compartment, in which you have one megawatt fire. And the data point I can give you is that the average temperature of your smoke will be 150 degrees. Then, if you had two megawatts of fire in that room, the temperature would be 300. So, if I asked you what would be your guess uh, if the fire was one and a half megawatt? Well, there's a good chance you could interpolate that to some value like 225 or something. But based on these two data points, you could probably make out a reasonable assumption of, of what the temperature would be at a slightly different fire. However, let's imagine that the case becomes a little bit more complex. There are windows at the top of the building that will break if the temperature reaches a certain value. And there's more than one doors to the, to the room. So depending on how many you open, uh, your air velocity will change. The room is naturally ventilated to make it more complex. So if he, the windows broke or not, will significantly change the behavior of your smoke control system. In this case, our simple compartment has changed into quite... Uh, difficult to predict system which will be very very highly related to the size of the fire in it and the output of the analysis will ch definitely change unlinearly with the heat release rate because it will be very difficult to predict and this is why research as done by professor Xinyan Huang who is my today's guest is so valuable to the fire community this is why the new technologies such as machine learning and AI are becoming more and more impactful in fire science. Because we as a humans, we get lost when there's too many variables or they change in a nonlinear fashion. I mean, we're decent at predicting in a, an outcome from a set of, of limited scenarios. But once things get complicated, there is that's very difficult to give a reasonable prediction. And on the other hand, the computers, well, they can learn without any limits. They can take whatever number of variables you want to teach them. They can remember for years as long as their database is, is working. So um, they definitely can cover some things that we as engineers cannot. And in today's episode, you're going to learn a lot more on AI from Sinian. Um, a necessary disclaimer is that neither me nor Sinian are AI scientists. So we're um, not really the people who you should uh, quote on the development of AI technology or, or the choice of the AI algorithms. There are proper AI scientists. However, both me and Sinian were, were good at applying tools to our research. And I think the application of AI that Sinian proposes is, is very powerful and very useful. So um, I hope I've built up your curiosity for this episode. It's going to be a great one. So yeah, let's spin the intro and jump into the episode. Welcome to the Fireside Show. My name is Wojciech Wigzinski, and I will be your host. Okay, everyone, welcome to session number seven of the Fire Science Show. I'm here today with Dr. Xinyan Huang from Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Hi, Washington. <laughs> Hello, man. Great to have you here. Sinian is a talented young scientist, I, even though it's, he, he's early in his career. That's, that's one hell of a scientific career. He's been doing his PhD in Imperial College London. He's done his postdoc at uh, University of California, Berkeley, and now is back to, to Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Started with researching smoldering fires, done some combustion and some fires in microgravity. Now touching the subjects of smart firefighting. So... That's that's an interesting pathway. Can you can you tell us a bit more? How did you start and and where did you end up? Uh, sh sure, sure. So I think I started with a um, career path to be a combustion scientist. 
but somehow I changed my research area to more fire related. But still, I'm trying to do more fundamental aspect of the fire research. Uh, but later on, uh, when I become professor and start to teach the uh, young engineers, I feel like uh, I have to learn more about uh, the applied aspect of the fire safety. So I'm trying to uh, do some more research uh, related to the industry as well as uh, like building fire safety rather than uh, just focusing on the combustion aspect. And um, the reason I'm doing the small fire fighting is, uh, in fact, uh, around my PhD period in 2015, that time, AI and big data is really a big topic. And almost every discipline is using uh, new tools, new AI tools and database to uh, reshaping their own uh, research methods. Uh, but our fire community seems to be relatively slow. We, uh, we are not really using these new tools, but think, I think they are very uh, promising and have a great potential to help. Like we do the fire engineering design as well as uh, fire fighting uh, to save the lives. So that's um, the reason. And uh, also we are very lucky. We got uh, uh, good funding support from the Hong Kong government to support us to do these new uh, AI-based smart fire fighting. It's also a, a theme that, that came to my attention and it's like no, you don't have to be rocket scientists to, to figure out the AI may be a, a new opening for all sciences. Well, you're you are kind of a rocket scientist in a way. So <laughs> that's, that, that's maybe never even, even easier for yourself. Um, because the AI will be the, the theme of this discussion and the theme of this, this podcast episode. Uh, could you please uh, tell a bit more to the listeners? Um, how does the AI work and, and, and why is everyone so hot about uh, using it, applying it to their fields of science? What, what does it give that we cannot do today? Okay. So uh, first, I have to confess, I'm not uh, really an AI expert. Um, <laughs> in fact, uh, I have never really programmed anything using AI. Okay. But um, my students, they are using these AI uh, technologies. They do some codings. But I have to say, even uh, even for them, they are not really editing the AI algorithm. They are simply using the AI algorithm. So I, I like to make a, a comparison with like CFD code um, in using in file engineering. Almost every file engineer, file scientist, uh, we use CFD code to simulate a fire. Uh, we use that often, but we don't program these uh, CFD solvers. Even someone writes the code, they probably just... Uh, editing some input rather than solving writing codes to solving these partial differential equations. It's not really our jobs. And actually, it's quite mature already. People in uh, 1970s, 80s, they have already developed very mature code to solve these uh, Nowistock's equations and all the other differential equations. So I think uh, in the AI area, uh, similar things is happening. So the computer scientists, the mathematicians, they have developed these powerful tools, AI tools, these packages, and you can actually download it from the website. These packages are already there. They are very powerful. There are different kinds of packages like CN, LSTM, all these different kinds of uh, algorithms to help you solve the problem. You just need to pick up the, the right one, the best one, easiest one for you to solve your specific problem. So for fire engineers and fire scientists, I think we can treat the AI uh, is just like a CFD tool in a certain way. We, we need to learn how to use it, but uh, we don't have to learn how to program uh, because it's already quite mature. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's powerful. Uh, uh, from one of your talks, I captured that, that you said that AI is today where CFD was 30 years ago. And that's a powerful statement that... Uh, it, it definitely can be an emerging field that, that will transform uh, the industry. Um, from my perspective, when I discuss AI or capabilities of that with, with other people who don't unnecessarily understand what's, because, you know, it, it's kind of a black box now. And yes. uh, it's like uh, whenever there's an interesting piece of science, what did you do? I, I've dropped machine learning on it. And then that, that means like it's very hard to understand what has been actually done. 
And and when I was trying to understand how AI could work, I figured out that that when you observe things, when you do experiments, when you learn new things from experiments, you you start to get these correlations. Like if the fire is bigger, the temperature will be bigger. Yeah, but uh, as a humans, we are limited to maybe three, four variables that we can comprehend at the same time. And we're rather good at linear correlations, but very, very bad at uh, at hyperbolic trends, for example. And it, it's like, as a human, it's very difficult to predict if something is going like hyperbolic trend. And that in fire, we have many of these things, like visibility in smoke, for example. So to my understanding, so uh, when we're thinking about um, how human thinks, there are two types of thinking. Uh, one is like intuition. It's more like a pattern matching. So uh, we are not really using logic. The other kind of thinking is like logical thinking. So uh, you just mentioned like for us, it's maybe three to five parameters is the maximum we can uh, think logically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can try to find the physical relationship between them. But actually our brain are really powerful. They can, uh, we have all these kind of sensors ears and eyes, all these senses, we have a lot of information stored in our brain. And, uh, and we have the intuition to do the pattern matching to, to get new ideas. So I'm, I'm just thinking about, so why do smart firefighting? Why using AI to do it? Because we want to train the AI to act like a very experienced firefighter. We always hear these kind of stories some experienced, experienced uh, uh, firefighters, they went to the fire scenes and they are like sixth sense tells them, okay, something is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. We shouldn't enter the fire scene anymore. We should just get out. So like a few seconds after they get out, there is like big ex- explosion or the building is collapsed. So they have these kind of sense. These sense is not logical thinking rather than the pattern matching because they have been fighting like hundreds of thousands of fires. They, they absorb this information, but they cannot reasonize it. So if we can train the computer, if we can feed so much data to the computer, to the AI engine, to make them like experienced firefighters, then we can pass this uh, information to the firefighter in the real fire scene to help them to make a decision, to alert them of potential fire danger. And then you have firefighters in Hong Kong that you were working with, and uh, on the other side of the bay, the, the firefighters in Macau have no idea about your experiences, and you don't have any idea of their experiences. And with um, with the AI and data, you can actually merge them and and share these experiences in, in the most yes. uh, powerful way. So Exactly. So actually for our project, uh, we are working very closely with uh, the fire survey department in Hong Kong. And uh, we constantly meeting with uh, some of these retired uh, firefighters. They have shared a lot of stories uh, about uh, some unusual things and uh, some of their personal uh, special thinking about the fire. And uh, we're trying to add these experiences into the code to help the train the AI model. But of course, it's a very uh, long way to go. We are still in the early stage. But, but hopefully we can, our AI engine eventually can be very smart based on all these experiences. Uh, my, 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 my own firefighting experience is very, very limited, uh, if I can even say that I have any. Uh, but... Um... Uh, from from the laboratory perspective, uh, we're doing some similar things. Well, we're, we're not uh, we're not extinguishing fires. We're we're setting things on fire, and we're observing how they burn. And uh, especially my colleagues that specialize in one type of the of the tests, their uh, predictive algorithms in their heads are very <laughs> very very well working, and they. By by taking a look at the course of the of the early stage of the um, fire test, they can already, with a quite good confidence, uh, figure out when the sample will fail or what will happen. That's a biological uh, machine learning, and that's the intuition that you have that you have mentioned. Yes, uh, we 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 have uh, jokes with uh, these firefighter friends. Uh, I uh, I always say 
you guys are really good at uh, stop the fire, but we are really good at uh, starting a fire. We yeah. start the fire all the time in the lab. <laughs> I mean, I, if I pursued the career of, of arsonist, uh, I, I predict I would be a successful arsonist now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the fire researcher would be. Um, in, in your research, you also mentioned um, this Internet of Things or distributed networks of sensors. And uh, that is also a second thing that, that must be cleared. So what do you mean by Internet of Things sensors? So uh, in order to have a, a complete smart firefighting system, having a big database, having a strong AI engine is just one component. For real fire, we, we need sensors to gather data from that fire. Sometimes it's very difficult because most of the fire will be covered by dark and uh, heavy smoke. So it's quite difficult for firefighters, even firefighters inside the building, identify the fire location or other potential and uh, danger places. So if we definitely need these sensors installed inside the building, pre-installed, best pre-installed in the building. And if we cannot have these sensors pre-installed, uh, potentially during the firefighting process, we may have UAVs or, or firefighters can carry some of the sensors into the fire scenes that can gather some uh, information. Uh, but in general, if the building is already equipped with um, these sensors network, then uh, especially like temperature sensor, like video, CCTV cameras, all these are very useful informations to support firefightings. So with this network of sensors, you mean the means to collect the, the data from the building as the fire develops, grows? Because uh, yeah, I understand that the knowledge of the firefighter is limited to what does, what does they see and what does their colleagues see. Because uh, in, in, in remote parts of the building where no one is at the moment, you have no idea what, what, what's happening. So, so definitely it gives you like this three-dimensional view over the building. So the, the array of the sensors would be the eyes and the ears of the firefighter. The AI would be, let's say, the second brain of the firefighter. And you process the data and uh, how would it uh, contribute to the firefighting once this data is processed and available? That's a very important question. Uh, many firefighters mentioned that uh, during the firefighting process, on one hand, they need a lot of information. But on the other hand, they don't want so much irrelevant information. They are actually gathering too much information about uh, like people running out from the fire scene and all these smoke and the new fires. All these are informations, but they actually need some kind of other information more valuable to their current activity. So uh, on one hand, we don't want to give too much information to the firefighters. On the other hand, we want to give like only valuable information for them and also to the fire commanders. So I think um, uh, one thing we can do is uh, if we have the sensor network, for example, like uh, temperature sensor, I think it's most important because temperature can reflect uh, the fire information, probably the best way. And uh, we will run like thousands of uh, CFD simulation and maybe a lot of experiment and we build a database. So once uh, some temperature sensor get some data, they will search the database and uh, then they will find the best match of the fire scenario. Then the AI engine will pass that scenario to the fire command center. So the fire commanders will know in the computer screen what kind of fire inside is building. And that's one level of information. The other level is the AI should be able to predict the critical events, not just uh, general events. We talking about critical events like flashover, like explosion, like potential window break, or these structure collapse. And these critical information should be passed to the, the firefighter in the fire scene. We don't want to give additional not so valuable information to them. So these are two levels. We want to give more information to the commanders, but we only want to pass the critical information to the firefighters. This might be a little silly story, but in my years of, of World of Warcraft career, I was, <laughs> I was a raid leader and I was commanding like a group of 25 people uh, battling together in, in the video game. And also I was receiving unbelievable amount of information that I had to process to take decisions on the spot. And uh, I actually faced that issue, what you mentioned about being overwhelmed with ir irrelevant information. 
And we, we've actually spent hours and hours of our time designing the user interface, a custom user interface. So I only receive the information that is necessary to take decisions and in appropriate time when the decision must be taken and everything else is is muted or or, 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 or hidden. And that's when we were the most efficient. So I, when you say these things that uh, you don't want to have the commanders overwhelmed with irrelevant information, that's absolutely f- fantastic because uh, I think that's that's exactly what they need. I mean, uh, they don't need a red light flashing that there's a fire in the building because they know that already. While on the other hand, if you could truly predict the events in the fire, like flashover backdraft, that c- could actually be very beneficial because a warning that conditions for backdraft are occurring, even life-saving information. That, that's really interesting. To that thought, I would like to add one more thing. Um, because, you know, um, from my discussions with, with firefighters, with, with from my experience with the firefighters, it's not necessarily these, let's say, usual fires that are the most difficult, you know. If they have a path of ventilation secured, if they know that the fire is in like one compartment, if they know there are no people inside, it's obviously it's always a fire and it can develop in different ways. But I mean, it's it's the usual uh, conditions and they are trained to, to work in. But there are these things that in a way are unpredictable. And I mean like meteorological conditions. I mean, sometimes the wind direction can change and completely change the direction of the flows inside of the of the building. Sometimes you may have um, opening like doors or window break at the different uh, level of the building that will change the location of the neutral pressure plane in the building. Sometimes they have to take decisions if they want to uh, introduce the positive pressure ventilation on an opening or not, because they don't. Uh, they, they have to judge by looking. They judge by looking and intuition. They do not judge by knowing and solving. You know, it's it's an intuitive decision. So, so I think uh, from this perspective, especially related to the flow path in the building, which is very complex to to analyze. Um, yes. Me as a CFD engineer with like twelve years of experience doing that. I considered it a difficult uh, subject, and uh, it, 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 there's so many variables that, that affect uh, the flow path in the building, uh, from outdoors to indoor conditions and heights, uh, pressures, everything. Indeed. It's difficult to predict. So, so I, I think this AI could be like extremely powerful in supporting these decisions, right? Yes, but uh, the AI is only as powerful as its database. So if we have a big database like like thousands of these CFD simulations. And uh, if everyone in the world, all the fire engineers can contribute together to the database, then it will be very powerful. The problem right now is uh, engineers don't have the habit to share data. Maybe that's uh, before the big data age. Right now we are entering the big data age. In fact, all these data are really valuable and uh, Uh, With large database, then the AI can recognize all unexpected things. Otherwise, AI can never reach the level of human. But on the other hand, uh, I think AI part, big data part, is still relatively easy. I mean, researchers can can help to improving the algorithm, to increasing the database size. But I think the most challenging part is the the industry. Uh, The to install these sensors to the buildings, it's really hard to change some parent or change the regulations. Especially if we want to add additional sensors to the buildings, it's really difficult to convince, like current contractor or even the government uh, regulators to to support us. So when I was an undergraduate student, like fifteen years ago, uh, we we were talking about like green buildings like uh, zero carbon emission buildings, new energy building at that time. At the time, smart building is uh, not a popular word yet. So green building is more popular. So many professors are doing these energy saving, like smart uh, HVAC system, uh, building automation system. Like uh, they can use sensors to to help manage the building energy better, save the HVAC uh, energy. Like if the room is uh, nobody's inside, you can turn off the 
air conditioner. So that's really kind of smart system can use to save energies. So unfortunately, like after like 15 years, all these technology are very mature right now. Almost no building are using these kind of system. So uh, one day I was asking our campus development uh, development office. So I asked them, so is there any building in our campus, especially these new buildings, recent build buildings, are they using these uh, smart energy like saving system, building information system? Then they checked. They said, no, uh, we haven't used that. I say, why not? We, we actually have so many professors doing this kind of research. Why can't we just using this technology in our own building? Then they say, okay, we don't, it's difficult. We cannot add additional sensors and uh, it's difficult to buy these additional systems. But I, I think things are get, getting changed now. Now, like Hong Kong government uh, are supporting like new buildings to install these uh, energy saving and uh, building information system. But still very long way to go. Even, even in the energy area, it's so difficult to add these sensors to add some smart system. So I will feel for the firefighting, especially consider fire is a real uh, event. So it's more difficult to install additional sensors to the buildings. Maybe we can start from like high value uh, infrastructure, like underwater tunnels, high end museum. So this may be the potential building to first install some smart firefighting system, not as a regular building. I think that um, we have two parallel things happening with, with fire systems. Like one is the development of the traditional, let's say, fire detection systems and uh, building management systems, uh, which uh, from my perspective, they, they are already very, very advanced we have these building management systems that can read the values from the individual sensors. They can show them real time on, on the building management system screen. Um, the sensors that we are using in the buildings, in, in high-end buildings, can be multi-detector, like heat and mm. visibility. So um, on the fire side, the technology probably already exists. And I, I, w I would uh, risk saying that any sensors, any sensor that you could use is already on the market. Yes. On the other hand, you have these uh, sensors as a part of a very like sterile uh, fire alarm system. You are not allowed to play that much with the fire alarm system because its purpose is uh, to indicate the fire alarm. Yes. So it's uh, and it's the primary objective, and sometimes to have this primary objective fulfilled uh you're not allowed to to fiddle with the with the with that system you're not allowed to export data well actually data export could be possibly doable but then again um there, because of the way how these systems are created for the their reliability it may be difficult to synchronize the time of the sensors when you have thousands of them it, exactly it, and uh because we're talking about fire and the, the sensors are meant to detect the fire, not survive the fire. Yes. Uh, they, they, they will start eventually dying out. So um, these fire sensors are like, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a potential direction because as you mentioned, it's difficult to add additional sensors. They, you, you would like to work with what's already existing. Yes. So I would feel like current heat sensors, most of the current heat sensors, they have like thermocouples temperature sensor inside. The data is there, but we are not using that data. We only use like uh, fire detection. We are not exporting the temperature data, but the data is already there. Same applies to the HVAC system. So like in my room, there is a temperature panel. It shows the temperature inside the room because there is a sensor there. But these kind of information are not really collected uh, by the central intelligence system because it's more expensive. But if we can collect them, it's already a temperature sensor in every room that can significantly help we identify the fire scenario. Even these sensors may only last five to 10 minutes in a big fire, but still very valuable, this information. Well, the fact that the sensor died is an information itself yes, as, exactly. as, as well. This, this means that uh, maybe by developing this uh, brain of the, of the system, having, let's say, algorithms worked out, 
how to determine the fire scenario based on available data and how to match it with what the database has. At some point, it would be able to, to merge these two worlds together and just add the AI component into a building management system. As, and then it, it suddenly becomes very simple because if, if, the, if the AI is trained to work with the data collected from the building sensors and there's a building management system that collects that, you only need a processor and then you need an output interface that will pass it further. So, so that's, that's a good direction, I think. Yes, if the building already have a centralized building information system, it's much easier for us to upgrade it uh, coupled with the smart firefighting system. But the first step is quite difficult. Only limited building has these kind of building information system. From the added value of the sensors, uh, my, because I'm, uh, I'm researching wind and fire so much, for me, the first thing I would add would be a very good weather station on the building to truly know the uh, weather conditions at the, at the, at the moment uh, yes, in, yes. In, the, in the building proximity. Because the fact that you know the wind like five kilometers away or on, on an airport or wherever your uh, nearest uh, metro station is located, that does not necessarily reflect the conditions you will have at the particular location of the building. So... Maybe we should equip fire trucks with weather balloons that would be released nearby. That that's actually that actually could work. <laughs> I, I think the technology is there, but it's uh, difficult to convince everyone to install in their building. Yeah, um, you've mentioned that uh, that um, there are these high value buildings like underwater tunnels, museums, where this this could really shine. In this in these types of buildings. We are already investing significant amount of money to provide safety. We don't only mean the occupant safety or, or you know, uh, the fact that no one will die and the building will not collapse. No, we want this infrastructure to survive the fire and be able to be used after the fires uh, very quickly. So, so, so these buildings are usually equipped with top-notch technology. For example, in tunnels, we often have linear heat detectors. Depending on obviously on the type of the heat detector, but 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 there are these types of heat detectors that have a temperature measuring point every five meters. So that's a resolution that that's actually quite amazing and allows you to to work uh, work out a lot of data. And I think you have used something like that in in one of your papers where you've tried to identify the location of the fire based on temperature measurements. Can can you like? Uh, give some uh, backdoor information? How, how are you seeking the fire and identifying it with AI based on, on, on these measurements? Oh, thanks, thanks for bringing that up. So uh, we for this file, smart firefighting concept and project, we have to start with some kind of building. So eventually we pick up the tunnel because comparatively tunnel is relatively simpler. So you have like fire can only move to like linearly from left to, to right. But I'm not saying tunnel fire is simple. It's just no. relatively simple. <laughs> it's still very complicated. So so uh, we, we see like many tunnel fires, you have a lot of smoke uh, coming out from the inlet to end. So it's basically impossible for you to identify where is uh, the fire and what kind of vehicle is burning. So once it's covered by heavy smoke, so I think that's a big motivation for us to to try if we can use in tunnel to as a demonstration for the smart firefighting system. So what do we do is uh, we have a uh, something done and also something ongoing. So first we try the CFD simulations. We build a database, purely CFD simulation database. Then we have that database. Then we can try. So if we can just train AI with this numerical database. Then once it's trained, it can, uh, using temperature sensor, maybe only every 20 meter. So excuse me, so if you've, uh, in your CFD model, you've equipped the CFD model with artificial sensors within the CFD model that were to simulate like what would be the equipment of the tunnel if it was real, yes? Mm. So so we tried one, so we simulate uh, uh, 1,000 different tunnel fire scenario inside a tunnel. And we're trying to match the scenario with the sensor data. So once we have a new fire and the sensor is recording the temperature data, then these temperature data can do a pattern search by AI engine in our database 
to identify which is most close to fire scenario in that uh, invisible space, then uh, the AI will just pick that up so we can know the size of the fire and the location of the fire. And we're also doing that in our lab. So we have a small tunnel model and we are doing like experiment uh, in this small tunnel. We're building experimental database. And then we try trying to block the tunnel and ask a student to randomly put a fire inside that tunnel and see if our our AI model can pick up the fire location. Uh, exactly. Of course, there are some time delays, but uh, in general, it's very good. You have built it a huge, let's say, experience with fires in this particular tunnel. So it knows how the fires can look and uh, what it does, it, it, it fits to the closest um, to the closest one in his database that, 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 that it knows, yes? Exactly. That's pattern matching. That's, that's, that's great because now you're talking about the single variable, which is the, which is the temperature. But you could also eventually build up to like velocity, the pressure difference at portals, the slope of the tunnel, and w- the beauty with the AI, you can probably uh, like you can add without an end. It's like it, it's always open to add more 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 things to to, to learn new things, and it will still remember everything uh, everything from the past. So it's it's uh, that's yes, powerful. Yes. So, but we have to build a database like uh, pre-built the database. So when the fire happens, they can recognize that type of database. And currently, we have some students doing the real-scale tunnel fire in the mainland China. So we're trying to install these smart sensors in the real-scale tunnel, test the tunnel. I think tunnels are, well, at least the ones that I am involved with, they are extremely well-equipped with, with sensors because um, we're actually using a lot of data on the fly to to, der- to drive the sanitary mode ventilation from the tunnels based on velocity, visibility, temperatures and everything because we want to like be energy efficient. The tunnels, uh, when you have a large traffic in the tunnel, the cars will uh, force the flow through the tunnel and uh, it, it can be quite quite a significant wind created in the tunnel by the just the, the, the cars driving. So, so, so it's usually self-ventilated. You don't want to like power the fans all the time because they do noise, they use energy, it's inefficient. So we need to find out when there are pollutants in the tunnel and uh, use them. All these data are really valuable if the community can can share the data and build a big tunnel database. I think it will be really powerful if it's it can be used to train the AI engine. I definitely see this as a as a possible direction for um, for future. And uh, if only we can get uh, to collaborate on on basically sharing sharing the data to to build a more powerful version of the of the database. And uh, did you try creating some very like um, difficult scenarios for the AI? Like, I don't know, blocking one end exit of the tunnel and see what it will do, or maybe placing two fires inside uh, to see how, how, how like, obvi- you will obviously confuse it because it has never seen such a situation. But I'm, I wonder how, how well it can, what will it do? So, so yeah, this is a very, very uh, interesting question. Actually, we, we saw some like non-realistic things uh, predicted by our AI. So, so uh, one of my students is uh, uh, doing some experiment, playing with this uh, uh, AIoT system in our tunnel. So he's trying to move the fire uh, inside the tunnel manually. While the, uh, while recording, yes. So the sensor is recording the the moving of the fire. Then the AI is not uh, recognizing the moving of the fire. Instead, the AI is seeing there are three and four fires <laughs> next to each other. <laughs> so because the temperature sensor is not cooling down uh, yet, so so actually the sensor still thinks there is a fire there. Not as the fire isn't already moving to another direction. Of course, I guess if we train this, uh, if we have more data, so the the engine could be smarter. <laughs> right now, it's giving some non-realistic thing. I wanted to ask that because uh, it's also not a magical tool. It is a tool, and that's it. Yes. And you to use a tool, you need to know its 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 limitations. 
if you if you want a screw a screw i mean you can do it with a hammer but it's not the way you should <laughs> so um that that was one of the papers i've read the other one uh, also very interesting was in um, the atrium smoke control systems and then you I, I think then you've used a slightly different approach because you've shown it the images of the smoke in inside the atrium can you also like introduce us to that research item yes so this is uh, uh another research related to the AI, and I personally think that's more promising in a certain way. Especially when I'm thinking about uh, install uh, IoT system, all these sensors in the building is so difficult, uh, such a long way to go uh, to change the current uh, uh, building regulations. So instead, I think AI is more valuable in file engineering design. Just like using the CFD nowadays, all the consulting companies are using CFD for the fire engineering design. So I think using AI to do fire engineering design will, will be the future and it will happen really quickly in next five years. Because we can treat AI as like a, like a tool, like a, just like a CFD. But it's much powerful. Uh, it's much faster. The prediction is like within a second because it's already pre-trained. It recognizes a pattern instantaneously. Uh, but uh, of course, it requires you to build a strong and a big database to achieve that kind of predictions. And also, I see, uh, of course, I'm, I'm also in the like, government panels to evaluate uh, the fire engineering design, the performance-based fire engineering design for some buildings. I sometimes see these consulting companies are showing some CFD result, um, quite questionable. I, I'm sure they only show us uh, some specific case that can pass the regulation. They are hiding some cases which will not pass the standard. So I, I have to say this process is not very transparent. It's difficult for authorities uh, to evaluate their result. It's also very time-consuming for these consulting companies to run these simulations. Sometimes these simulations can last for days and uh, get not even good result. So kind of like a waste of time. So if we have a strong AI tool, it can help the design company to fund the optimal design. And it can also help the authority to identify whether these proposed designs are reasonable or not, if the, the consulting company are cheating the system or not. So I think that's uh, pro probably will be more popular, more promising than the smart firefighting system because firefighting is very challenging when we're considering fire will change with time. Like every second, it will be very different. So you have a time variable there. But the design, actually, you don't need to do real time. Man, I, I'm in the trouble now because uh, I wanted to go uh, deeper into the atrium, but you have also mentioned something very, very interesting. I, I think I'll, I'll t ask you about the, the the interesting thing first, and then we'll come back to the atrium because I, I there's one more thing I need to hear about that one. Um, sure. So in one of the talks, you've said that you've commented on the speed of AI versus the CFD. And you've said that the AI is faster because the most time-consuming work has already been done in the past, and that's building the database. And yes. that is something you are not able to do if you want to solve a CFD case on the fly for a building. So if you can tell us, because that's the most profound difference between the AI and, um, and uh, the CFD. I mean, you can consider AI to be a way to quickly search through an archive of results that you have to find the, the case that most fits your particular case, right? And take decisions based on that. While CFD would be like a deterministic way to solve the current physics in the building and figure out what happens. And the issue is you can use the archive to at least uh, see where you are and what are the possible outcomes while you're not able to use the CFD to do the same because it's too slow. Can you yes. just tell me what's your experiences in that? Okay, so uh, we start with the atrium fire because uh, uh, because that's uh, 
probably most popular performance-based design uh, cases. So most of the cases you involve large volume, uh, you usually uh, exceeding the regulation. You have to do CFD simulation to prove you have enough asset uh, for people to evacuate. Yeah, you, you mean available safe evacuation time, yes? Yes, uh, exactly. So uh, we do the hard work before in during the database. So, for example, when we design um, a specific case in our paper, we run about uh, 2,000 uh, CFD simulations for different uh, atrium size, atrium height, fire size, as well as uh, smoke ventilation capability, also the smoke visibility and suit years of, from the fires. All these will change uh, the value of uh, evacuation time, available evacuation time. So we build that database. Of course, that time is uh, very consuming. But once we build it, everything becomes easier. Once the database is there and uh, AI is uh, used to train with this database, then what we can do is much easier. Uh, we can identify the limiting condition. So for example, if I want uh, evacuation time ASAP to be 20 minutes, then the AI can tell you, What's the maximum fire you can have? What's the maximum atrium height you can have? So it actually helps you to do the design. Uh, conventionally, when we do the design, we run the CFD code. Okay, we set a specific fire. We set a specific uh, smoke ventilation capability. Then we run simulation. That simulation may take two days. Then you get one data. Mm. And you don't even know that data is passing the code or not. If it's not, then you run another one, you run another one. Probably you run 10, 20 is maximum. It's still very difficult for you to find the optimal value concerning so many variables, file size, atrium size, and also ventilation design. So the AI can actually identify that limit condition within a second, if it's well-trained. Um, I'm in a very lucky position in my institute. We have access to, to our own supercomputer. It's not, not a huge supercomputer. It has 200 cores, which is, let's say, large for our needs, but not impressive anyway in the, in the uh, world list of biggest computers. It, it, it would be, it would place behind probably gaming consoles of new generation. <laughs> anyway, um, if we use Ansys Fluent to solve the cases, which uh, is a solver that has very powerful uh, scalability of the, of the computation time with number of processes involved, it, it's very efficient in that way. And if we use uh, K-Epsilon turbulence modeling, in which you are solving for a time, time average flow, not momentary flow like you would have in LES simulations. Um, combining this uh, solver with this particular settings um, moderately costs for buildings, for, for normal buildings, like let's say a, a shop with a, let's say thousand square meters of, of the floor area, we are reaching something like real-time uh, CFD, which means I, I can run my case and uh, let's say 20 minutes of the simulation time will take me let's say 20 to 40 minutes of the wall clock time to solve. But that's already a substantial amount of resources used to solve that in, in this way. And yet I was solving just one, um, just one case, as you mentioned, that's a single data point. So, so I, and, and I, I think we're somewhere touching the, the glass ceiling because it's very difficult to push this time even further down because I'm already at the limit of what my, um, single processor can handle if if i make the grid coarser it will not help because it's not calculation time that is limiting me it's for example the data transfer or data acquisition in general so um it, there is this glass ceiling that will prevent my calculations from going any faster if i bought a second computer a third computer it would it would not help me it would allow me to to run the bigger models in a shorter time but i would have very difficult time to get it into, let's say, real time or a predictive mode. So that's um, th that's my feeling with with my computer. And uh, I, I know you are an FDS user, and you also you're using supercomputers. You're running thousands of of simulations. What what are your feelings in terms of like computational time and this? So uh, so I'm not saying AI is faster than the CFD because when we build as a database uh, or the CFD. 
uh, we have we still need to run like thousands of the CFDs. They are also time consuming. Uh, but AI just make your decision making, especially for most of the design cases. You don't you are not interested in one specific case. You are more interested in the limit. Uh, what's your design limit? So if you just run, run one or two, maybe 10 uh, CFD simulations, it can give you some value, but it can never give you some limiting case. So uh, that's uh, one of the difference. And the other thing is, um, I, I noticed that most of these performance-based design are more or less similar, especially for the atrium. It's all large space. Uh, the atrium height is uh, very high. So the smoke will accumulate on the top. So most of the, C, uh, the fire engineering consulting companies, they do these kind of project. For every new project, they have to rerun all the simulations. So it's uh, the knowledge is not uh, like passed to the next project. So if you can combine all these database, all pre-run the simulations into a database, so the database will grow and the AI will learn more. So when the new project come, you use that trained AI with a database, you can actually give a much better prediction uh, than some junior fire engineer who are not very familiar with uh, the, the CFD code. I think uh, AI can give much reasonable and reliable result because the human beings are uh, more likely to make mistakes. So that's the reason in the paper we just written, uh, we compare the AI with uh, a group of fire engineers with different experience. And we notice that, uh, so, so we, we write a survey, like one page survey of specific case. So we ask um, these fire engineers in different company. First, I ask them to judge whether this fire scenario will pass the regulation. So I want them to answer like within a minute using their gut, using their intuition. Then I ask them to do the CFD simulation to see if their initial intuitive judgment is correct or not. Then I compare their CFD result with our AI result. It turns out half of the participant uh, initial CFD calculation are wrong. They all input something wrong in the code, <laughs> probably by accident. So. Comparatively, AI is more reliable the, because it won't like uh, make a mistake in the input parameters. But human engineers always, sometimes uh, you make some mistake and uh, difficult to be detected. I, I must say, uh, I was about to ask you about this AI versus human battle. And I'm not happy that humans are not leading in this one. And what's even worse, I, I've tried myself against your paper to figure out if I can, uh, based on the data in the paper, what would be my guess about your atrium. And uh, yeah, it's not something I want to discuss on the podcast because I didn't do very well against your AI. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it shows that it, it truly really is um, once uh, once it's it is well trained, it is a powerful it's it's a powerful tool in that in that in the toolbox. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying humans are not as good as AI. It's uh, actually the opposite. The human is always better than AI in creative things. So if you are if you give AI a a very clear goal, it probably will do better than the humans because humans sometimes make mistakes, but AI is not creative and it can never be a creative as human beings. That that's something I want to say. I'm not trying to criticize the human beings. <laughs> no, no, it's uh no, it's it's it's, it's fascinating that um you can do this type of comparisons and um and and what you say it makes sense that that uh, it all comes down to the experience like like we've we've talked about that when discussing firefighters and now we we've moved to the engineers but that's a uh, it's the same case there is some collective experience that uh, engineers have, which is not easily shared between them. And basically each, each, each of the engineers is uh, some of their own experiences. And uh, when they retire, they, they drop these experiences. It's not being passed uh, forward. Even if they try to like teach young generation of engineers, everything they know, it's impossible to, to, to just uh, teach this uh, in, in, in a way that the others would, uh, 
take it as their own experience. Yeah, it's, it's impossible. impossible for students to learn. So we have a colleague here uh, who has been working in the industry for thirty years. So in his course, he shared like thirty years of experience of uh, fire engine design to the students. But it's really difficult for students to grasp these kind of knowledge just in the classroom. They actually need a training and later doing projects to really understand these knowledges. So, so the knowledge is not so easy to be passed to the next generation. Yeah, you've said about this uh, also the simulations being like used single time for a particular building, and then the knowledge uncovered by this simulation is lost. I remember some years ago, we had this discussion in the office that we have done probably a hundred car park CFD projects for a hundred different car parks, each having unique geometry, unique uh, conditions, uh, unique systems. And and back then we were actually discussing in the office, I remember that, maybe we should just uh, take all of these reports, just uh, look at all of them and, and figure out if there are any relations between them, like... If we can learn from like looking on the bigger picture of on all everything that was done, but but we also very quickly realized it's it's kind of pointless because uh, it's, it's like we are not able to comprehend. And back then we had not uh, considered AI and big data as a possibility to to like find a tool that could do it for us and then help us figure out the relations. Now I, yes. I, I see yes. that the the the. the mm, the tool exists, so maybe we should come back to that. It actually could be very fascinating to uh, to learn from real projects. And yeah, that, that's something to, to consider. I believe we are really touching the, the true nature of AI. So AI is, uh, I see it's uh, like a non-linear fitting for different parameters. So our human brains maybe do three and five parameters top with logical and physical pra- physical laws. But AI can do like more than that, can do like 20 parameters or even more. It can find the connections between the, these different parameters, non, these nonlinear correlations. So that's beyond the human brains. I also love how well it works with, uh, with images, with, with um, visual patterns. Yes. It's also something very difficult to process as a, as a human being. Because even if, when you're looking at, for example, the images of smoke, it's difficult to comprehend uh, the values, you know. You see uh, there's black, white, or red, uh, blue, as we usually plot them in a very unfriendly way to colorblind people. Um, and it's difficult to, to work out what are the values, what are the gradients between places, you know. It's like you just see where the things are, but the, to really understand uh, the physics or the image or even... This aspect that you look at the two-dimensional plane of a building where you plot your results while the flows are three-dimensional. And the only chance that you can figure out what's happening in three dimensions by looking at the two-dimensional picture is if you have experienced uh, a fire simulation, you've seen such an image uh, in your head and you, you can fit it. But then yes. AI is 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 so much uh, better. I, I think actually that's uh, that's something that you've done with the with the atrium paper because you were showing it images of smoke and layer de- de- decaying, and uh, it was figuring out the the, the three dimensional uh, features. Yes, features. Yeah. The last thing, um, because this um, AI is as good as the database that it is learned on, and this causes some inherent challenges to the way how AI can be used. We've talked about um, firefighters. We've thought, uh, talked about building management. Now we've moved into the fire engineers where it truly is uh, something that can shine. What about scientists? How um, useful this can be to like study fire physics or fire phenomenon and like do not fall into a trap that... Uh, You've misunderstood something because the AI database was limited. What's your take? Because you're a scientist and you're most likely using these concepts also to your uh, research. Yes. So from scientific point of view, from fire scientist point of view, sometimes you feel frustrated. Like, uh, you know, all the equations, uh, uh, but AI, no, nothing can do better. <laughs> uh, maybe in future, you know, some, some like high school student who are familiar with these AI tools, they can they can predict the fire 
better than you, <laughs> although they know nothing about equations. But if we're thinking about the CFDs, then I think it's uh, understandable uh, for most people using CFD to simulate fires. Many of them do not know the fundamental fire dynamics uh, or the equations behind it, and they are still using it very almost daily for their job for the design. Of course, some of these results, simulation results, are quite questionable. So still, I would suggest them to to learn the fire science the dynamics behind, uh, so they can use the tool better and uh, wiser. I think that will apply to AI as well. Eventually, I guess there will be very cool or powerful AI tools to help you do the fire engine design or in general any kind of design. Uh, but uh, sometimes these prediction could be non-realistic. In terms of fire protection, if something happens, it could be catastrophic. So my suggestion is uh, still, so enjoy the new tool, but still learn the fundamentals. Uh, and from like combustion scientist point of view, is it also useful to study, um, let's say, the physics of a flame? Or yes, I I I I believe so. Sometimes the CFD or the AI can give a very strange result. And if you know the physics behind it, you can identify whether these uh, predictions are reasonable or not. You should trust it or not. And you can also judge uh, whose simulation is better. Okay, that's uh, that's powerful. Well, uh, Xinyan, thank you for for your time and and uh, taking us to the world of of the future. You said five years <laughs> for the designers, at least. I, I hope that will be true because it's something that can improve our work and. Uh, yeah, truly help us uh, focus on the important and creative uh, parts of our work, not uh, repeatable uh, simulations and and repeatable work. And in the buildings, it probably will take a, a bit more time to get the sensors in the place. But once that happens, we will definitely um, achieve new new tools and uh, new ways to make make buildings safer and. Uh, make firefighting safer and more efficient. So that that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for this talk. Thank you for the invitation. Wow, Xinian is absolutely amazing in what he's doing. And I'm I'm a huge fan of his research on AI and, and application of that into fire science and engineering. He said that uh, we're going to use um, machine learning tools and AI in fire fire engineering design within five years. So that's that's uh, quite a narrow timeline, and uh, I would really love to see how it unravels. And the tools mentioned in the discussion seemed really powerful in supporting engineers in in their daily tasks. And when Sinan said that you can just ask AI to optimize the fire smoke control system to uh, allow for twenty minutes of safe evacuation time, well, that's something that would be very very difficult to do as. Uh, as an engineer with conventional tools like CFD, because it would probably take you a lot of time to figure out the optimal point where your systems actually do that. And yet AI can can do that in a matter of seconds. So, wow, that, that's that's really powerful. And, and me, myself, as a smoke control engineer, I can truly see um, this being a huge aid in the future. It will not replace us. It will not make our job useless we will still have to fuel the machine with the with data points we will still have to create systems we will still have to be the ones choosing the design including aspects that, that ai may never think of like uh, local law or expectations of your investor these are the things that would be very difficult to uh, to to put into the machine however used wisely, it can be a very powerful ally, and I'm looking forward to that. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if if you would like to learn a little bit more on AI, I would highly recommend you reading a review paper by Dr. Nasser from Clemson University on the use of AI in, in fire science. If I'm not wrong, it was published in Fire Technology, but I will check that and I will drop the link in the in the notes. It's giving you a lot more information in the algorithms behind the AI machines and gives allows you to build a little better understanding of what's really happening in the computer when these algorithms are working. So 
yeah, that's the technology of the future. In the next episode, we're going to talk a bit more on the technologies from the past, which I would say they are as exciting as AI. So I'm not going to give you more details yet, but it's also going to be a great, great episode, especially for ones who are doing fire safety engineering. So yeah, look up to the next episode next Wednesday. And yeah, thank you a lot for listening. Remember to share this with your colleagues, with your friends. Let's let's build a community and reach to more and more people. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to do this long term. I want to do it for you. So I, I hope this community grows and there's more people I can serve with this podcast. Anyway, it was great having you here today. See you next Wednesday. Thanks. Bye. This was the Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.